from WXOU, live from Oakland University. This is John out here with you on Sports Day in the D on October 11th. Got a lot to get to on today's show, including the Tigers running in the postseason. But first, we're going to get into some NFL comments as a random GM laid waste to the Detroit Lions in a Pro Football Weekly article. So we'll get right into it after this song from Disturbed. It's called Land of Confusion. Hope you enjoy.
Wolverines were doing. So this isn't anything new. So the fact that this guy is random. Welcome back into Sports Day in the DM. John out here with you at WXOU 88.3 FM from Rochester Hills, Michigan and Oakland University. You can get at me at Facebook and Twitter here on TBU Gunslinger and uh, let me know what you think about these comments that I'm about to read from this Pro Football Weekly article where a random GM had slammed the Detroit Lions for how they're playing so far this season. Now before I get into these comments, I just want to say the fact that this guy's a random GM, you might call it gutless and all of that, and we'll get into some of the Dom Rayola comments as well for the Lions, but in terms of it being random and everything, this has happened before. When you think about Michigan Wolverines losing to Appalachian State, there was a random guy that came out and criticized a lot of the stuff that the Wolverines were doing. So this isn't anything new. So the fact that this guy is random, and my guess is that maybe his team had lost to the Detroit Lions because some of the comments that he made, while truthful, which we'll get into, we're pretty heavy hitting, and it should be an awakening for a lot of Lions fans and the team in general. But let's get into that. So this is a random GM that spoke to Pro Football Weekly. First quote, The one thing that's clear, they are not as close as a lot of people try to make it seem, the GM told Pro Football Weekly. They are a one-dimensional offensive team that if quarterback Matthew Stafford is not on, people are figuring it out. If you take wide receiver Calvin Johnson out of the game, he only has one touchdown through four games compared to eight touchdowns at the same time at this stage last season. Who, who else do they have that can beat you? And what I say to that is, um, in terms of the double teaming and everything else, the other receivers haven't proven that they're going to be able to beat you when Matthew Stafford tries to hit them with balls because they haven't scored a lot of touchdowns. And when you think about it, Matthew Stafford has not hit Calvin Johnson this season in four games for one touchdown. Calvin Johnson has one touchdown, but Matthew Stafford has not hit him for a touchdown so far this season. So, big concern going forward. Let's get into some more quotes. The GM says, They are not a team that I think is ready. If I'm going to go over there and take over the job, I'm not thinking that it's going to be a quick fix. And we'll get into some player personnel as he goes in here, talking about how the Lions had picked up a lot of questionable characters. Nick Fairley, Titus Young, Mikel Shore, the Lions have targeted a lot of issue guys, more so in Schwartz's first few years, one league talent evaluator said. A big problem was that their leaders were not leading by example. Calvin Johnson and Brandon Pettigrew were uncharacteristic making drops, and Adamican Sue has disappeared. Critical comments there for the Lions. They don't have enough good players and the players that they think are good are not that good. Sue belongs on the all-hype team, and defensive end Cliff Averill is not that good. Put him on any game, and you can watch him get blocked time and time again. Corey Williams is solid, but nothing that wows you or makes you wonder how they're going to block him. And the other guy, he didn't even know this guy's name, Kyle Vandenbosch, is a try-hard guy, getting up in years, that doesn't really threaten you. For as much as people talk about that D-line and all of its depth, we're all the players. And you know what I hate to say, even though the fact that this guy could not name the person he was talking about in the Detroit Lions, I hate to say it, but I, I think he's right in terms of what we've seen about Vandenbosch. Yeah, he's been good, and Shorts had grabbed him from the Tennessee Titans because he used to be on his team and everything, and I think... In terms of now he is getting up in age and maybe he can't make the same impact. And in terms of Cliff Averill, I think he might have missed the boat. You might say that Cliff Averill is pretty good, but I'm saying that Cliff Averill might have missed that boat because that deal that he could have signed instead of just being franchise tag would have gave him a lot more money. And maybe the Lions, since they didn't get him, didn't sign him for that and kept him for the franchise tag, you'd say that his production isn't worth that contract that he could have had and a lot of people are just saying that Cliff Averill has been underwhelming 
We know Adamican Sue's been underwhelming, and we're not really sure where that Lions defensive strength is in these four games because we hadn't really seen it. Only a few sacks on the season and not much pressure on these quarterbacks, making Jake Locker and Christian Ponder look like superstars. You know there's some problems there. We'll get into another quote here as he says some stuff about Sue. He said, I've listened to the media hype about Sue since he got in the league. What has he done? Even the year that he had all those garbage sacks, the guy took a million plays off and got pushed around in the run game. I never thought he was a very good pro player, and I liked him coming out and thought he had a chance, but I also never thought he was going to be the second coming that he was labeled. I'm not sure who bestowed that label on him, but it's definitely a joke. And as far as the Dominican Sue, a lot of Lions fans know that he's been very underwhelming. That rookie season, I don't know if you sit there and call it garbage sacks. Dude did a lot of cleanup. He deserved to be rookie of the year and all of that. But going forward, you can't just rest on a rookie of the year. Adamican Sue's really got to prove to the Lions that he's going to be worth getting picked up where he was and show the Lions that he's got some grit and some talent and he can get some pressure on the quarterback because the Lions desperately need him. So... Another question that was thrown out to this GM, I, can't, I couldn't get it off of this article, I was geeked and happy to try to explain some of this stuff to you guys and ask you what you guys think. In terms of how much blame should be going on Martin Mayhew and Jim Shorts, how much they should be responsible for the Lions and the lethargy, the lack of energy and everything else in the season's first quarter so far in these four games. The GM said that both Jim Shorts and Martin Mayhew are overrated. What has Mayhew really accomplished, he said. Former Lions GM Matt Millen never said he did a good job. He wasn't ready for it. He did not have enough good people around him, and there were things that if he had to do it again, he would not do. And he did not have the experience or the right people around him to get it done. Now this guy... In terms of what the quote was just about, he was defending Matt Millen in terms of Matt Millen did not have the player personnel and Martin Mayhew wasn't a great general manager and all of that. So Martin Mayhew was the reason why Matt Millen didn't succeed. And I consider that to be completely preposterous. I don't understand where that's coming from. If you're going to sit here and tell me that the Lions fans going 0-16 and 1-15 with the bags over their heads were willing to give Matt Millen another chance to be the GM of the Detroit Lions, you got to be kidding me. You say one thing, well, yeah, you got your Calvin Johnson and all that. Well, that's all he got you. Everybody else that he tried to get, like Joey Harrington and these tackles and all that, they were all misses. All misses. Matt Millen didn't have anything to do with the success of the Lions going forward. It's just preposterous to think that Matt Millen, you say, yeah, you should have gave him a few more years. We gave him three or four years. We gave him a shot to do something for the Detroit Lions, and he fell flat on his face, and the Lions pretty much had to be a new team in terms of, okay, we're an expansion franchise team. Let's start this thing all over. The best player that the Lions had had while Matt Millen was there was freaking... Jason Hansen, the field goal kicker, and you play those Madden games and everything else, isn't it embarrassing to say that your best player on the lines is Jason Hansen, your field goal kicker? That's not going to get you a lot of wins. And credit to Jason Hansen scoring all the points and being the franchise leader in scoring and all of that. But if you're going to sit here and tell me that Matt Millen would have been able to do a better job given a few more years and better personnel and having their best player after having all these high draft picks still be Jason Hansen? you got to be kidding me with that garbage. That was a weak comment by the GM. So this is how he finishes with all these quotes. This is, this is a great article. We'll get into some of this stuff a little bit too. He said, so much of this is having the right people around you. And I don't know that Detroit has all the right pieces in place like I thought they did. And I think the people are starting to see the cracks on the Detroit Lions. And you know what? We, we have some cracks going forward this season, going 1-3. and three. And he might have some comment and merit in terms of Calvin Johnson and Matthew Stafford and the fact that if even when you're double and triple teaming Calvin Johnson and you still don't have guys open to get touchdown passes, yeah, that's a problem. But in terms of what the Lions are, maybe going forward, you say you see cracks and all that from what he says. 
maybe going forward the Lions were just not that good to begin with in terms of maybe Adamican Sue hasn't given you everything that he was supposed to give you. And the Lions try to predicate themselves of being a high-powered offense, but when it just doesn't look good, it doesn't look good. And I've seen here, and I've talked to you guys a few shows now about the salary cap issues and trading players and all of that, but the salary cap is primarily dictated on that offense. So when the offense doesn't look good, we already knew the defense wasn't going to be that great. But if you sit here and tell me that a 10-6 and team being largely the same is going 1-4 and four and the 10-6 and six was admiration, yeah, you can sit here and tell me that. But going 10-6, and six, you can't go 10-6 and six in the NFL by a fluke. So these guys, they might have lost their way a little bit, but I don't think the Lions are that much different in terms of a team from what they were last year. They're playing a lot different, and they're not doing all the things that we expected them to do to be so good this season. But the Lions are not that different in terms of a team and an organization. They just need to pick it up and step it up. In terms of the other comments that the GM has said, now we finished with all of those, I want to get your input here on Facebook and Twitter. Is this guy on the money? And the other questions that I have for you, does the truth hurt? Or do you think this guy is just completely off base? You know, I'm not really certain that many of you are going to say the guy is completely off base. I don't think a lot of you are going to go in and say that remark. But you might ask, is this guy really on the money? So what's your opinion of the Lions season so far? And is this guy's comments a little bit harsh? And I want to say one thing in terms of the Lions, yes, they are 1-3, and three, and you might argue that the Lions could be 2-2. Two and two. I might go as far to say that because with in terms of Matthew Stafford being injured and Sean Hill having to come into that OT game and getting those miracle touchdowns and then getting into the uh, fourth and trying to rush it in and it not working and Tennessee winning that game, if the play calling wasn't messed up and the Lions had figured out stuff there, yeah, they might be 2-2 two and two and they might have won that game. But I can go ahead and take another step forward and say, in terms of this season, it's really not been great, and the Lions could be 0-4. And I say that because Matthew Stafford had to make a comeback in Week 1 to try to get the Lions on the board for the first win. And if Matthew Stafford wasn't able to hook up with that on the last drive of that game, then the Lions could have easily been 0-4. So you argue... Maybe 2-2 two and two or 0-4, oh but the Lions are 1-3, and three, and they're not what you thought they were going to be going far in the season. In terms of Dominic Riola's comments, he had said about that random GM that he was pretty PO'd. You know, he thought it was a cowardly act to be unnamed, and he said that the Lions are a family, and it's not cool to attack our family, and he said that he was pretty fired up. Now, a lot of people had called in on the previous shows and 97 won the ticket and said maybe that Martin Mayhew was the unnamed GM to try to fire up his team and get things done. And if that's the case, I feel really sad for the Detroit Lions and all of us right now because if you need your GM to go in there and tell you guys to get you fired up and get you to play, then something's really wrong in uh, Lions Town here. I don't know what the Motor City is going to be able to do with these Lions if your GM has to talk to Pro Football Weekly to get you guys fired up. I really don't believe that that's the case. If you were to put a fork to my nose and ask me who's going to be that guy, I would say it's somebody from Green Bay. I would say it's somebody from Chicago. I would say maybe it's somebody that's butthurt from um, the Lions, Calvin Johnson. It was a catch, not a catch process thing that happened last year when Chicago had won that game might be one of those guys. I'm not going to go ahead and sit here and say that it is, but I'm just guessing and I'm probably completely wrong. But it sounds like somebody that's been a little bit hurt, and it sounds like somebody that has a vendetta against the Detroit Lions in terms of these comments. And I just want to go through this really quickly, and then we'll break and get into some Tiger stuff as they get into the postseason, and we'll talk about that in the next segment. But the Lions' next seven games, here we go. At Eagles, at Bears at home against the Seahawks, at the Jaguars, at the Vikings, at home against the Packers, and at home against the Texans. We still know that the Texans in that final game are undefeated, and the Packers may have gotten jobbed by the replacement refs on Monday Night Football against the Seahawks and all of that stuff. But in terms of that schedule that I just read to you, I can argue to you that the Lions could be 1-6 in, 
and that would be their best way to go. Maybe if they're lucky, go 2-5. and five. You talk about the Lions shooting themselves in the foot early and ruining their season and possibility to get in the playoffs. You, if you're going to need the Lions to go 9-3 and three in these next 12 games for the Lions just to get into the postseason, then this schedule could be considered murderer's row. And I'm not entirely sure where these wins are going to come, considering that four special teams touchdowns in the last two games we talked about last week had pretty much never happened before. In terms of the way that the Lions are playing and the way that that schedule looks, I think these comments have coming out at the right time. And the Lions have to go play the Philadelphia Eagles this week at Philadelphia. And the way that Michael Vick looked last week when he didn't even turn that ball over, the Lions are going to be in a heap of trouble. And we'll see if these comments have any merit going into next week as we talk again about Lions football. I'm going to go ahead and take a break here on Sports Day in the D. And then when we come back, discuss some Detroit Tigers in the postseason matchups. Stick with me here on Sports Day in the D. This is John Ott, WXOU 88.3 FM. And in terms of the Tigers, it's kind of like a reverse 2006 now. As we talked about last week and the possible matchups that the Tigers had going forward. And we didn't want to play against the Texas Rangers, myself included, because I think that was the one complete team that the Tigers would have had a lot of trouble with going forward. And now they have to play against the Oakland A's, currently up two games to one. If they go ahead and get this done, they could possibly match up against the New York Yankees in the second round if Baltimore doesn't finish business, and the Tigers can go to the World Series. And yes, I'm talking about the World Series for the Detroit Tigers, because I believe it could happen. But right now, we've got a couple games to play. The Tigers... 2-1 Two to one right now against the Oakland Athletics, and when you listen on Thursday morning, if worst comes to worst, you're going to have a possible matchup with Justin Verlander going in Game Five in a must-win situation. But let's do a little bit of recapping of how the Tigers had got there. Game One, Justin Verlander. You might have been a little nervous going forward, and I know I'm very critical of Justin Verlander. A lot of people have called me crazy, but the stat that I heard before the game even started was in game ones for Justin Verlander, he was 0-3 with an ERA above 9.3. So some of that criticism that I had about Justin Verlander was kind of rectified in terms of my thinking and saying that I'm not really crazy. Sometimes it could happen, and what does JV do? He shrugs off that first bomb from Coco Crisp, off the first hit of the game, first batter, leadoff hit and everything, shrugs off that first home run, and he goes and only gives up one run and strikes out 11 Oakland A's batters. And there was some silly comments by Josh Reddick of the Oakland A's talking about how Justin Verlander gets an extended strike zone and that it's just not fair and all these things. And a lot of these comments that have been going around with the Oakland A's, and I'll get into it. In terms of what I think about what they're doing, call the Oakland A's just a bunch of uh, crybabies, pretty much, because you go ahead and talk about all that stuff about the extended strike zone with Verlander. If he wants to go ahead and rectify the way that he's playing, yes, he did get one home run so far in this series off Joaquin Benoit, as soon as they up bombs off everybody, and we'll go forward to that in the game, too. But dude struck out six times. I mean, if you want to go ahead and sit there and talk about criticisms, why don't you criticize your own play before you go ahead and complain about Justin Verlander and that strike zone. So, in game one, that stuff happened with the 11Ks and Verlander in the Reddit comments, and you got the Alex Avila home run, and you got some unlikely production as the Tigers had won 3-1 to one because you didn't get any production in this game from Prince Fielder or Miguel Cabrera. In game two... Tigers win 5-4 to four in a game that a lot of you guys didn't get to see because the game was broadcasted on MLB Network, and I hate to say it, but that's just the way that things are going nowadays. So if you guys need to go ahead and hit up some B-dubs to go eat some good food, and, uh, you know, shameless plug there for you, B-dubs, so, you know, pay me. But uh, if you need to go ahead and do that in terms of hitting up a game and all of that, go ahead and do that if you need to go do that because you can go ahead and enjoy the atmosphere and the games with a lot of friends. But a 5-4 win for the Tigers. Cabrera gets off the schneid. 
He gets a couple of doubles and a single and goes three for five in this game. And of all people that hit you a game-winning home run, how do you feel about Donkey Kong Don Kelly? Because Jim Leland's always so tickled pink for him. And homeboy hits his sack fly to get the job done for the Tigers to win five to four. I couldn't believe it. And in terms of everything that we had talked about, of being controversy because controversy is one thing that always seems to circle around playoff games and that gives us something to talk about in terms of not just winning wins and losses the controversy gives us the fuel on the fire to maintain everything on these sports shows and Al Albuquerque the amazing Al the guy with the great slider for the Detroit Tigers you know I feel better for the guy because you know, he goes and takes a line drive off the dome and he's been out for a long time and he comes just about the end of the regular season up and into the postseason. And he's just playing some great baseball, pitching great for your Detroit Tigers. And he gets a comebacker to the mound. He kisses the baseball, throws it over to first, and Prince Fielder steps on the bag and it's all done. And there's been a lot of unsung heroes for the Tigers so far. But in terms of Al Albuquerque kissing that baseball, I think a lot of the Oakland A's, again, a bunch of crybabies. Because when I saw that replay, in terms of, because I couldn't watch all the game on MLB Network either, when I saw that replay, for Al Albuquerque to kiss that baseball, I don't think that there was a lot of harm in that. I just think that he was overjoyed that the pitch had done what he wanted it to do and he just felt good that the ball came back to him and he was just able to kiss it, throw it over to first, get the job done and the Tigers could progress forward. There was no malice in that kiss of the baseball. Now if the dude pretty much started French kissing the baseball and throwing it over to first, yeah, I think we'd have a lot more to talk about and in terms of that just being wild and trying to have one-upsmanship against the Oakland A's but in terms of French kissing the baseball I think that's the only way you can one-up it because Al Albuquerque kissing that baseball, he was just thankful. It went right to him, he threw it over, and the job was done. And Josh Reddick had some more comments to say about how unprofessional it was and that he's just trying to show up the team. And in terms of, again, the way that he's played, yeah, he got a bomb off Joaquin Benoit in this game too, but when you strike out six times, nothing like I had mentioned, you got to criticize your own play in terms of the way that his team needs to pick themselves up. Not to mention in this game, you know, Coco Crisp from game one goes to being the hero to the GOAT. Because what does he do? He drops a fly ball that gives up two runs for the Oakland A's so the Tigers can go ahead and take the lead. And it's just that's the way that it's been for them. In terms of the Oakland A's so far in these first two games, they haven't played great baseball. And the Tigers in two games had eight runs scored. And you might find this hard to believe, but this just goes to show you that they hadn't played great baseball. The Tigers only have one earned run off the Alex Avila home run that they have gotten. The rest of the seven out of the eight runs have all been from errors, wild pitches, pass balls, misplays in the outfield, what have you. Everything else has been errors, all crazy wild pitches past balls, and only the Alex Avila home run was the only run that the Tigers had not gotten off of an error. So the Oakland A's have shot themselves in the foot to be down two games to one, because if they didn't do all that stuff, you could be arguing that the Oakland A's should be up two games to nothing, or this series could already be over as we stand here currently right now, two to one. In game three, I think a lot of Tigers fans, and I'll go ahead and talk about this after this part of this recap, the A's win 2 to nothing, and the Tigers get just four hits in this game. Tigers 1 through 4 hitters go 1, through fi- one for 15. Prince Fielder did get robbed a couple times in this game. A home run and a double. Uh, Cespedes was great. And the A's, with all that stuff, win just 2 to nothing off of a great pitching performance. And Anibal Sanchez wasn't so bad himself, is that he'd only given up two runs. So when you talk about these three games, you're talking about the Tigers' pitching performance, Justin Verlander only gave up one run, Doug Fister only gave up two runs, and Anibal Sanchez only gave up two runs. So in terms of the Tigers' pitching performance, you got to feel pretty good. The fact that they lost the way that they did in this Game 3 last night doesn't make you feel very good about everything. But... With all that stuff happening, 
And Prince Fielder getting robbed. He's hitting like 060-something so far into the postseason. He got robbed a couple times. He got a couple good swings in there. In terms of the way that the Tigers lost, I think a lot of these guys, even the ones that call on a 97-1 on the ticket, and I hope that a lot of these Oakland University students, because I'm talking to you guys out here, I don't want you to sit there and jump bandwagon because the Tigers had lost 2 to nothing and it just didn't look good doing it. And I'm not going to go ahead and sit there and make any comments or criticism about the guys that go ahead and feel that, because you can feel the way that you do. Because if the Tigers don't get hits, then the chances of them getting wins are not very great. But let's talk about it here a little bit. I saw one comment in terms of, you know, you listen to uh, Matt Pocket on the corner pocket with Garrett Elliott, and I saw a Facebook message from Garrett Elliott that said, if the Tigers don't get this stuff done on offense you know he doesn't have confidence in them because if they're not getting hits then they're not winning the series and you know what I agree with him on that but in terms of what the pitching was last night Tigers probably played up against a good left hander and the Oakland A's so far have shot themselves in the foot in the series they could be out by a lot more and when you go ahead and you go up against um Griffin, who was the pitcher tonight going into this, hopefully must win for the Detroit Tigers as Scherzer go ahead and gets on the mound. Last time the Tigers went up against him, there was Prince Fielder who went yard, Miguel Cabrera went yard, and Austin Jackson went yard. You can go ahead and say that the Tigers maybe last night went up against a great pitcher, couldn't get stuff done. you got to feel pretty good in terms of what the Tigers might be able to do considering the guy's a rookie, A.J. Griffin, and all these guys going yard on them. you got to feel good that this is the Tigers' chance to close it out because... You're not really sure what you're going to get from Max Scherzer tonight. You know about the Oakland A's, about them striking out a lot, not being able to put the ball in play, and that's the reason why I don't think that they're going to win this series against the Detroit Tigers, because they don't have what it takes to attack the weaknesses that the Tigers have. So that's why I think the Tigers should be able to go out and win this series. Now, if they don't win tonight, and Max Scherzer, maybe he got that extra day of rest because Jim Leland and the gang are thinking that there's still some problems with that shoulder or what have you. If the Tigers don't go out and win tonight against A.J. Griffin, then you're going to have some problems going forward because J.V., go ahead and he's pitching on this uh, Thursday, I believe, which would be a Game 5. If he goes ahead and he pitches on that, then you're going ahead and you're taking out JV for the game one of the ALCS, and you might only get to put him in a game three or a game four, and then possibly a game seven. You want JV to start in that ALCS on game one. You don't want this to go to game five. And if it has to go to game five, I still have confidence in the way that JV had pitched from game one to have enough to change my mind that the Tigers could get it done. But if the Tigers go ahead and put up the same performance that they did with Anibal Sanchez when he pitched great and he couldn't get any run support, you're talking about homeboy going out there throwing nine innings of no-hit, no-run baseball, which JV could do, and Tigers' bats still not being able to get it done. There'd be some problems going forward for the Tigers if they get into that game five. So if they want to get this stuff done now, I think they need to close it out tonight. But... In terms of what Garrett had said and about him not being comfortable going into a Game 5, you know, I hear him on that stuff, and I hear you guys on that if you think that's the case. But with JV Game 5, i got to believe something would happen if it gets to that point that the Tigers can get it done and that Oakland A's magic is going to have to stop at some point. We're going to go ahead and take a break here on Sports Day in the D, and then I'll come back with some other uh, Tigers comments, and we'll talk about some more stuff about the Tigers in this next segment. This is Sports Day in the GM. John Otten here with you on WXOU 88.3 FM from Oakland University. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. Prevent your child's next asthma attack. Call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. Visit www.noattacks.org or call your doctor because even one attack is one too many. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. 
Hello, I'm Julia Lucci, your PSA Director, and this is your Canvas Calendar for the week of October 8th. This week from October 8th until the 12th is the week of champions leading up to the madness. There will be plenty of events, so make sure to check in every day at the CSA website major events schedule. On Monday, October 8th, Oakland University will be welcoming Republican Vice Presidential Candidate Paul Ryan from the Romney-Ryan campaign. Ryan will be speaking at an on-campus rally in the arena at 7 p.m. 300 tickets have been set aside for students, so head to the CSA window for your chance to grab a pair of tickets starting at 9 a.m. All you need is a valid Grizzly ID. Doors to the arena will open at 5 p.m. A shuttle service will be taking attendees to the event from the Meadowbrook Music Festival parking lot from 4.30 to 9.45 p.m. Kid Rock is also rumored to appear. Also, this Monday, you can attend an evening with Jamie Torkowski, the founder of To Write Love on Her Arms. It will be located in the banquet rooms of the Oakland Center and doors will open at 6.30 p.m. with a lecture starting at 7. There will also be free music by Stephen McCorin of Satellite. The event is free and sponsored by Athletics, OUSC, Residence Halls Association, and the Student Life Lecture Board. CWLOAH's focus is to help those who suffer from depression, addiction, self-injury, and suicidal tendencies. Come out Tuesday, October 9th to see why OU's got talent. The SBB will be hosting this talent show featuring Ty Barnett from 7 to 10 p.m. at Meadowbrook Theater in Wilson Hall. Do you want to get involved in one of the many on-campus student organizations? Then stop by the Center for Student Activities on Wednesday, October 10th to learn more and get involved. The event is all day from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. Join the AMA and the FMA for their business fashion show and learn how to dress for success this Thursday, October 11th. It will be in the banquet rooms of the OC from 7 to 9 p.m. WXOU will also be on hand to provide some music. Head on to the Hamlin Circle from 10 to 11 p.m. for a pizza giveaway put on by Athletics to prepare you for the madness. The OUSC will be having a tailgating party on Friday, October 12th from 6 to 9 p.m. in the B16 parking lot. WXOU will also be on hand to provide some music. Also on Friday, October 12th, the madness officially starts. Come to the arena from 9 to 10 p.m. to celebrate the official start of the basketball season. Grizzlies will get to meet their favorite men's and women's basketball players. Finally, this Saturday, October 13th, you can help make strides against breast cancer. This event will be put on by the American Cancer Society from 9.30 a.m. until 12 p.m. on OU's campus. Registration will start at 9.30 a.m. Recruit family and friends to help you walk. You can still sign up at www.makingstrideswalk.org slash OaklandCountyMI. I'm Julia, and this has been your campus calendar. And remember to keep it here on 88.3 FM and WXOU the Grizz. 88.3 WXOU The Grizz. Listen to Oakland University Airwaves, WXOU 88.3 FM. This is Sports Day in the D, and I'm your host, John Ott. Coming back in from the break, we were discussing the Detroit Tigers, the Oakland A's, and everything else in between from what you've saw in games 1, 2, and 3, and some concerns you might have about the Tigers' offense and all of that going forward. Mention that you don't want it to go into a game 5 because you want to save JV for the ALCS in game 1. You don't want to possibly put him into a game 3 and have him pitch into a game 7 in the ALCS. You'd much rather have him lead off so that way you can go ahead if you have to play the Baltimore Orioles or the New York Yankees, go ahead and put it on the right foot, and that way the Tigers' offense can feel comfortable and hopefully get you some runs this time as they progress forward and get past the Oakland A's, I'm guessing. But you want it to go ahead and get it done tonight so Max Scherzer can get this stuff out of the way and A.J. Griffin can just say see you later as the Tigers go ahead and get into the ALCS. So that's where I'm at on that. In terms of quick hits that we got for the Detroit Tigers, we have to talk about Jim Leland. And last week I had brought to you about these comments that Jim Leland had made in terms of he was very emotional and he thanked the fans and all the fans that couldn't be there and it's been a tough year and he had to take some hits and all of that. Now he comes forward a couple days ago and says that he's going to be back to manage the Detroit Tigers. And if I believe he's going to be back to manage the Detroit Tigers, then i got to believe that Dave Dombrowski and Mike Illich are going to be happy to have him back. And that's just where I'm at on that. I, I don't think that there's any other way that if Leland says he wants to come back, I don't think there is any way that he's not going to be back. That's just where I'm at on that. Because 
Terry Francona, who's a good manager in his own right, you can make fun of the Boston Red Sox and the chicken and beer and Josh Beckett and all of that. I think the Terry Francona problem that happened last year to getting Bobby V fired this season so there's no more Red Sox manager, I think the Terry Francona problem was just everything that was going on in terms of the Boston locker room, not so much on Terry Francona. And... He must have been proven right on that regard because as soon as Manny Acta was let go for the Cleveland Indians, who I thought could have been a good replacement for Jim Leland if he were decided to leave, I don't think he's going to end up leaving. Terry Francona gets that job in terms of how his dad was so close to the Cleveland Indians. Now he gets to uh, sit in his dad's shoes pretty much and coach the Cleveland Indians. And i got to believe that that's a good pickup for the Indians. I'm not really sure where they're going forward in terms of their organization, but getting a right manager to put it on the right foot and get everything going forward I think is a good move for the Cleveland Indians. And it's something that the Tigers should have looked at if they know that Jim Leland's not going to be back. It's too late now. But in terms of what the Tigers have going forward and these quick hits, there was also another one in terms of Anibal Sanchez. You know, when you saw what he did in Game 3, the Tigers' offense just didn't help him in all of that. Dave Dombrowski had mentioned that he doesn't want Anibal Sanchez to be a rental player. So they're talking about him being back next season, I think making upwards of about 12 or $13 million, I'm guessing. And then Mike Illich... I think is going to go for the jugular and try to win a World Series because we talked about this many times before and as you guys know he's old and I'm not really sure how much he's got left in the tanks in terms of how long he's going to be there so I think he wants to win now and get this done and when you look at Anibal Sanchez you might have said at the very beginning boy was this a bad trade because we got rid of Jacob Turner and all that who's going to be a good pitcher for the future when you look at what Anibal Sanchez has done lately he's been very good I mean his ERA it was around 2.3 something in terms of the last few starts that he's had. So Anibal Sanchez has been great. He's gotten the whole situation cleaned up. He's been pitching good. So he might be more than a rental player for your Detroit Tigers. So going forward in the next season, you got JV, you got Max Scherzer, and you got Anibal Sanchez. And oh, and by the way, you still got Doug Fister. You got to feel pretty good about that pitching rotation going forward. And hopefully next season when the Tigers go in, they can go ahead and make the situation just a lot easier and get into that postseason like they were supposed to, getting into it a lot easier and getting the job taken care of. So all these quick hits in terms of Leland being back and Anibal Sanchez possibly being back makes me wonder one other thing. In terms of Mike Illich, he's talk about how he's older and stuff and you know that he might not be around so long and he's going to go ahead and have to try to win that World Series now. And I had talked about it before how it's going to, I think it's going to be a three-year window. You guys might argue it's going to be a five-year window before Prince Fielder goes into a DH and then you got to have something else to think about with that large contract. Think about it this way. If you got all that money tied up in Anibal Sanchez, supposedly, you're still going to have to go ahead and get JV you still got to go ahead and pay Miguel Cabrera because his uh, contract's going to be up. You know they're going to do everything they can to have him stay here, and I'm sure he's going to stay here. So he's going to have to be the highest-paid Tiger. you got Prince Fielder with that $214 million. I know Mike Illich is a very rich man. He's got a lot of money. But where the heck is all that money coming from? And how much is he willing to spend in terms of it being an open pocketbook? And I know there's no salary cap in baseball. I'm just wondering, how much is Mike Illich willing to spend for the Detroit Tigers when you got all these big names? So where does everybody else come to? Where does Andy Dirks go? Where does Quentin Berry go? Did the Tigers really have to solidify their lineup with a bunch of other guys and be top-heavy? You know, they got top-heavy because of Miguel Cabrera, Verlander, Prince Fielder, and all that, with all the money. So... They're top-heavy, and then the rest of their guys to solidify their team and to try to keep the salary cap, I don't know, maybe under $400 million, that they would just have to go ahead and say, you know, maybe these guys might only make about 4 or $5 million. You know, like Johnny Peralta, you might not like the cat soon too much because he doesn't have a lot of range, but... You know what? You're going to have to keep guys like that around because they just don't make a lot of money. Or maybe you can go ahead, like people have been saying, some of my coworkers and all that stuff at the Oakland Press and all that too, had said that you might want to go ahead and think about a second baseman that can go ahead and play the shortstop role and get some 
multi-tool guys, so that way they can go ahead and play multiple positions and get stuff done to help solidify that lineup for the Tigers, so then that way, since they're so top-heavy, that they can go ahead and function as a real baseball club. And in that regard, I agree completely with all that, because I know it's an open pocketbook, and I know Mike Illich wants to win now, and I believe that it's a three-year window. But in terms of everything that he's going to spend, I think that's something that Mike Illich needs to think about. I think that's something Dave Dombrowski already knows, because in my opinion, if Victor Martinez didn't go down this season, and in terms of, yes, he's going to be back next season, and you don't know what he's going to give you, but if Vimar didn't go down, I don't think Prince Fielder would be here, and I don't think Dave Dombrowski would have made that move unless, unless Mike Illich said, go ahead and bring him in here. I think that's the whole thing about Mike Illich. He just wants to get it done now. So, with the way that it is, the Tigers need to make themselves functionable. Go ahead and get some lower-tiered guys on the, the payroll, and then go ahead, hopefully, bring in some speed and get this stuff done so the Detroit Tigers can be more of a complete team. I think that's where they're at right now. But in terms of this series, do you think the Oakland A's have the advantage? I want to bring switch this into the forefront because there's been a lot of crazy, crazy callers out there and some crazy thinkers out there that say that the Tigers are in a heap of trouble because they are leading the series two to one. Let me repeat that: the Tigers are in trouble. They are leading the series two games to one. That's what people are thinking because of the two nothing that the Oakland A's had put on them in Game 3. So if the Tigers are really are in trouble, I think, boy, it's a great place to be in trouble when you got a lead in the series. That's all i got to say about that. Hopefully the Tigers' bats go ahead and wake up and get this series taken care of as we go ahead possibly. If you were going to ask me right now, I would say that the New York Yankees will go ahead and pull it out and the Tigers will go ahead and play them in the ALCS. Now if it doesn't happen, if the Tigers don't go ahead and play against the New York Yankees and they have to go ahead and play against the Baltimore Orioles, I won't feel so good in terms of the fact that the Orioles remind me of how the Tigers were last season. You know, when the seventh inning or later, they go ahead and they win a lot of one-run games. And then if you get them into extra innings, they go ahead and take care of all the extra inning games. And you talk about magic, you talk about all that stuff, you know, you say the Oakland A's have a lot of magic with all these walk-off wins. If I were to go ahead and replace the Tigers right now with the Baltimore Orioles and they played the Oakland A's in the first round, I think the Baltimore would have no trouble with them. In terms of the fact that who's got the magic, I'd say it's the Baltimore Orioles. And, by the way, I think magic also comes from being a complete team, and I think the magic is going to run out for the Oakland A's. And in terms of if the Tigers have to play the Baltimore Orioles in that second round, the more complete team is going to have to go up against the high payroll flashy triple crown team and that's going to be a problem for the Detroit Tigers going forward if that's the case they play the Yankees I think they got that one and if they get in the World Series well I'll just talk to you about that next week because I'm not going to go ahead and make predictions and sound like an idiot I want to go ahead next week and get more clairvoyance on that clear my head and figure out where the Tigers are going to be because that World Series is within reach just not sure about who they're going to play yet and where they're going to be. So this is going to be another segment of Detroit Tigers Radio. If i got some time in here, we might come in the next segment, or I might just end up playing some music. We'll see where it goes. In terms of a game that I want to review and talk to you guys about, we might try to get that into, the, into that right now after the break. Be right back here on Sports in the D, WXOU. Hey, Billy. Yeah? Do you want to go to the state fair? Yeah. Do you want to ride the roller coaster? Yeah. The big one? Yeah. The one with the reverse flip? <gasps> yeah! Well, you can't. You see, Billy, when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have done with it, including going to the state fair. Oh, man. Cheer up. This year, your parents will make it right. They're going to visit energysavers.gov where they'll get tips on how to save energy and money. Then they'll add extra insulation and get a few of those Energy Star appliances. They could save hundreds of dollars a year. And you know what, Billy? What? They'll take you to the state fair <gasps> next year. And I want to go this year. I know you do, Billy. I know you do. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. 
98.3 WXOU, The Grizz. John out here, back with you on Sports Day in the D. This is going to be the last segment on WXOU 88.3 FM from Oakland University. I just want to get something that really grinds my gears, a la Peter Griffin Family Guy style, in terms of something I wish was back on the air and it isn't anymore. In terms of pros versus Joes, I thought it was a good reality show. We know we have to watch all this reality show garbage and a lot of this stuff. When it's not on HBO, when it's not sports, it's bad reality shows, and we don't really want to watch this. In terms of why I liked Pros vs. Joes and why I think it should be back on the air, I wanted to see all of these professional athletes, Mitch Richmond, Bob Sapp, uh, wrestling from Bill Goldberg, you got pitching, you got Al Leiter in baseball, all different walks of life, all of these pros come in, and then challenge these Joes who thought they were really good in the like lower divisions, Division Three, and all of that, and they just didn't have what it would take to get into the pro division, into the National Football League or the NBA or all that stuff. They just missed the cut, so what do they do? They get a chance to prove their mettle against the best who have ever played the game. And in terms of why I liked it, I thought Petros Papadakis was a funny host. I'm not talking about Jay Glazer and Michael Strahan in seasons 4 and 5 and having to be a tournament-style competition. I didn't like that stuff, and they weren't that funny. I just wanted to see all the best from the league's best Go up against these Joes and show them that you don't have what it takes to get in here. I mean, heck, they even put Ricky Williams in there when he was still pro bowling and all that stuff before he got into the uh, drugs and all of that. I mean, these guys did everything they needed to do to show these Joes that they couldn't get in. And in terms of what I thought was the craziest thing that I'd ever seen in a reality show... These guys had to come in, you know, Bob Sapp used to play football, and then he decided, I'm about 360, I'm about six-something, I want to go in there and go into the MMA. And one of these guys have to do, these Joes have to come in there, and they have to last around against big Bob Sapp. And one of these things I had seen is when Bob Sapp had kicked one of the Joes in the air, he got airborne after a kick and got slammed right into the canvas off of a kick. Pretty much knocked him out. He was pretty much concussed, lights out, everything. And it was just funny not to see the guy get hurt, but to have them try to compete because, you know, there was no punches that were pulled in this show, and that's why I liked it so much. And that was something that I wish that would be back on the air because in terms of seeing guys compete and in terms of bringing in these new age pros, I mean, heck, LeBron James, I think, is one of the best basketball players in the league. You know, he finally got his ring and all of that stuff. You think about when he's done playing basketball about ten seasons or so, that he's going to come in there and try to uh, attack one of these uh, Joes and this new age pros that will be coming out in the not-too-distant future. I'd love to see that happen. So Spike TV, get Petros Papadakis back in there, and let's see some pros versus Joes, and let's get some good stuff in there so we can see how the best that really ever played the game matched up against the wannabes that want to try to compete against them. This is John Ott signing off for another edition of Sports Day in the D. Hope you guys have a great weekend. It's getting cold out there, so make sure you dress right and get all your homework done and have some fun along the way. Talk to you guys next week. Peace out. This is the sound of a flat-screen television hurled off a building. Now the new...